And welcome back to the Remnant Podcast. Of course, I am the notorious Luis Olvera, aka Audio Life, and this is Danio. Danio, yes, sir. Did you lose a bet? Um, Why are you all green? <laughs> because I felt like it was necessary to dress a certain for a certain attire for this particular episode. And why is that? Because today we have a guest that has an amazing testimony. He has been being used by God in a mighty way. Not only that, but he's a military vet. So who is our guest? Our guest is Evangelist John Arroyo. Hey. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. <laughs> we Sir. are, too. Uh, Brother John, We I just got the privilege to meet you this Wednesday um, at our midweek service. And sitting in and listening to your, your preaching and testimony was... Well, let us say incredible um, hearing about how you started off in life with your family and everything else, and then going into your military career and then how God worked in your life from that, from those moments into what we see now you as an evangelist. So in short, who is John Arroyo? A follower of Jesus Christ. Today, a father, a husband, and someone that just uh, loves rest and what loves rest by watching movies, man, working out, you know. <laughs> Former soldier, um, and a soldier for Christ. Nice, nice. So we did hear that you're a Whittier boy. I you're, am you're a local. I am a Whittier boy. Yeah. So yeah, but beforehand we were going over uh, which high school he went to. Unfortunately, he went to Whittier High School. I oh. went to Cal High. I'm sorry, <laughs> that rivalry still runs deep. Yeah. Wow. I I don't even want to know what those games look like every time they went at it. No, I think the biggest rivalry in around here is everybody hates Lucerna. Lucerna, really? Yeah, all the high schools oh. they they all rival against Lucerna. Such a good high school, though. I hear good things. Oh, no, there's nothing wrong with it. I have no person, like, if my kids went there, it's fine. But I'd rather have them go to Cal High out of just, you know, alma mater. Spite. Wow. No, alma mater. You got to have pride. <laughs> you got to have pride. So being a Whittier boy, um, how long did you live in Whittier? And do you still have family here? Or are they all out of Whittier? So I, I, I was born in Montebello. Okay. And then I don't even remember. I was so young when we moved here. Right. Um, I would say I was probably two or three years old when we moved to Whittier. Uh, so I don't know a life outside of Whittier until I joined the military. So I was, let's see, I, I would just say I, this, I was homegrown. I was born here, um, oh. raised here, went to all the elementary school, you know, the elementary. I went to Hoover, Lincoln, and then I went to Dexter Junior High, and then I went to Whittier High School, grew up on Whittier Avenue, then moved to Newland. We lived for a while Um off Beverly Boulevard in okay. Pioneer, uh, over by the 605 freeway. Right, we lived right, there right. for a little bit. And then we moved back, and then we moved over off Lambert in, in, in that area, over towards uh, Cal High. We moved yes. over by Cal High. <laughs> um, but we just kind of stayed within the footprint, you know. Wow. Uptown Whittier was always the, the main focal point, and, um, you know, it was kind of like the, the area where everybody kind of just stayed close to Oh, okay. Um, and then I didn't, I didn't leave Whittier until I joined the military, which was in night. I graduated Whittier high school in 1996 and 1998 in June, almost, 
almost exactly two years later, I joined the U.S. Army. And then I haven't been back since to live. Oh, okay. But my family still lives here. Yeah, right. that was the other question. So my mom's here, my dad. Um, my brother and sister, they kind of moved out of the area. My sister lives in Rancho. My brother lives in Fontana. But a lot of friends that are still kind of in the area. But I come back because mom's here. Um, of course. Everybody always goes back to mom. My mom's not, mine's not too far. She lives right here in La Mirada. And, but that to me, it's a beautiful thing because I, I moved around a lot when I was a kid too. I, like for me, I was born and raised in Southgate to about ten. Moved out to the IE, and then as an adult, moved back out this way. So it's like to hear that Man, story. You grew up in the ghetto for sure. <laughs> no one, no one. Okay, no one. No, moved that's in. that's how many could afford. No, 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 no. I, I mean, respect to anybody's hustle, but the IE. Wow. Yeah. Notice I just said the IE. I didn't mention the actual city because that's just even bad. No, no, we 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 can imagine. Uh, so, do you when you come when you come back? How often do you come back? Uh, do you do you just come back uh, for family and to visit, or do you also tend to preach when you come out here? Normally, I come back just to visit family, but it wasn't until recently uh, in Texas that I met your pastor of City Reach, um, Pastor Brian Bolt. I met him at a at the church that I attend when I'm not out traveling, and and it was actually quite a story because I I was reading his bio and it said Whittier, California. I'd never met a pastor from Whittier, <laughs> California, on. and I was like, you know, it was it it, it had always been in my heart to go back to Whittier and to share. And I was like, man, I'm going, I would be going home. I would be going home and like to have a homegrown come back and tell a story that probably so many that would be listening, walk the same path, right. just, just on the different side of the street. So when I met pastor Brian, it wasn't, it wasn't even like, Oh wow. Look at God opened the door so that I can come preach back in Whittier. But I had just never met a pastor from Whittier. And I was like, wow. So um, coming back and speaking at City Reach Church just last Wednesday was the first time I ever came back to Whittier to preach. Normally it's just visiting family. But um, I believe that, that this is just the beginning of what God wants to do because he wants wow. to reach his people here in Whittier and surrounding areas in L.A., right? Just like right. just like what it says, reach L.A., reach, reach the, world. the world. Yes, sir. That's the goal. So I don't know if I understood um, your point correctly or not, but when you were saying that you walked in here when you were four, was it here? Yes. Yeah, so the church that once operated out of where City Reach operates today, your church, mm -hmm. they used to send out a bus through the neighborhoods. And uh, I was four years old watching Sunday morning cartoons, probably eating some Cocoa Puffs or something, you know. Mm. Um, everyone's still asleep. I'm a Rice Krispies fan myself. That's right, right? <laughs> and then the bus just pulled up and honked, and I just got up in my onesie, you know, or whatever I was wearing that day, <laughs> and I just got on the bus. Just instinctly, blindly, you know, whatever you want to call it, whatever name you, you, you would say, but I, as a kid, I just got up and followed Christ. Didn't even know what I was doing, right? Mm. Got on the bus, and I came here to this church, this building. Um, and I and as I look back now, just like many of your listeners, they'll be able to look back, and they'll be able to see the fingerprints of God Come all on. over their life. And, and 
you know, I often tell people, you ever stop and take an inventory of your life and say, like, man, I shouldn't have made it through that. Or, man, if it wasn't for God, if it wasn't for someone praying at that point, like, wow. That's one of those moments in my life that I'm looking back now and saying, that's actually the day that God marked me as his son. And it wasn't until recently that I actually had that revelation. So, yes, I I got on a bus and blindly followed Christ. And I came to this church at four years old, and they saw me, and I walked into church, and I think that the staff was like, there's something not right about this kid. This kid's in a onesie, you know what I mean? Like, hadn't even brushed <laughs> like, his hair. His like, parents? where's his parents? And, you know, back then, everybody wasn't so isolated like they are now. Right. Back then, everyone knew everyone, you know, especially in a small community like Whittier and around Whittier High School. So when the bus came, someone else from – you know, where I lived in that community, they got on the bus as well. So they, they must have said, hey, that's that's Rosemary's son. Right. And uh, they called my mom. My mom came and got me. You know, just I, I remember, you know, as I was thinking so about. did you stay for the life, service or like they, they, they I don't remember. I don't remember. I, don't, wow. I honestly don't remember. But I remember getting on the bus and they called my mom and they said, hey, I, we have your son. I, be- I believe my mom came and got me. Mm. Um. But, you know, I, I think about Jesus in his life and how as a young kid, you know, he ends up he ends up going with his family when he's 12 years old. That's, you know, the little bit that we know about his young life. Right. He goes to observe the Passover, as was the custom during those times. They would all go back to Jerusalem. So he goes back, but he stays in the temple. And when his, fi- his family realizes he's not with them, they come back and they're searching for him. They said, son, why would you do this to us? And he said, didn't you know I would be about my father's business? Come on. And so this is the way I see it. I'm looking back now and I'm taking that inventory and I see that thumbprint. And it's almost like I could have looked at my mom and said, mom, what are you doing here? Didn't you know I would be about my father's business? Mm. Right. I mean, that that's amazing. I know if it is. I mean, I don't know how your family reacted, but I, I, I know mine would have been mad church or not. Like that's, <laughs> but, but I mean, Dude. of course, like you say, you know, looking at it back now and lo- looking at that thumbprint, you're like, oh, that was the beginning of everything. And and let me say this: from that point on, and and probably not just the very next day, but from that point on, the enemy made it his mission to destroy me. Mm. in so many ways um and we'll talk about it but I, I just you know from that point on the you know think about this the fight for the youth right now is so huge well because they're the future right there is no future without the youth there are future leaders they're the future pastors they're the future presidents they're they're the future of the united states and the church so who did Satan try to kill when they were babies? Moses and Jesus. Think about how significant they were. Wow. That is very true. So when I walked in this church, this very church, at four years old, I was marked. And from that point on, and, you, and, and your listeners are going to hear about one of those incidents here soon. From that point on, he made it his mission to try to kill me like he did Jesus. And probably many of you guys, too. So... I've had reflections and I've commented with Danny in private, like how, you know, yes, we talk about, I, I, I think throughout all our lives, we, we keep hearing the same 
rhetoric, oh, the kids are the future, the kids are the future, the kids are the future. And I look back at how I grew up in the church and how I see our kids growing up and our youth growing up. And not saying that um, I grew up in a bad church environment or anything like that. Uh, It's just, I felt like the outcast. I felt like the like the complete outsider, so it was hard to let's say reach me. It's not that I was something, you know, not not like I was special or anything. It's just it was just hard to reach me. And then I see some of our youth. I still kind of keep in contact with some of the youth from back then. Some are lost. Some are. The ones that everybody thought were the ones that were going to make it are, are you look far at him, from God, right? You look at them and you're like, you really want to be posting that? And then some are pastors, some are thriving. You know, it, it and and I look back and I'm like, well, you know, I could, you could do the what if of like, well, what if I grew up like these kids are are doing now with we make sure that they know Jesus at a young age, not just park them in front of a TV and like, all right, and then let, let a little, uh, the tomato tell you what to do and like nothing like that. Uh, you know, I don't know if, well, I'm, I'm sure you've parked your kid and told him what Tommy, to, what is his name? The tomato? Tommy, Tommy tomato. It is Tommy, Tommy tomato. tomato. And they were the cucumber. Dude. There you go. I'm I, sorry. I never, I never <laughs> fully remember their names, but anyway, to get back into the point, I look back at now, why it's so important that our kids be directed through the gospel, that be educated in the gospel, and that be prayed for every single day, not just by their parents, but also educate them like, hey, this is this is what you do in church, and this is why we come to church. Because sometimes you just take your kids and you're like, eh, all right, Jesus, and yeah. they don't they, they don't know. And now to Full circle the, my point. I know, I, I get off topic. Not to full circle my point. I see it now as an adult. I look back at the kids and I'm like, oh, yes. The devil's going to try to attack them and confuse them, especially nowadays with everything going on. Now I'm an adult. Yes, as an adult, now I can reflect back and I can see that, but I've already gone through some life experience. I come with some baggage Yes, I can serve the Lord and I can change, help change the world, but not as powerfully as they can at this moment and in the future. And in the future, if they've stuck hand in hand with the Lord, walk with the Lord, the even more change they're going to do when they get to my spot. That's right. So I completely agree. The devil is out to get the young ones so that we old ones, oh, okay, and sometimes... Youth, you know, they don't want to listen. But if you if you let Jesus capture their hearts right now, there's no telling what they can do. That's exactly right. You know, you said something about building that foundation in the word, right? Because the Bible says that you build a house on, on the rock. The rock is Jesus. So... One of the T-shirts that we have, it's uh, the front of it says Deo Presolute Bear. It means Latin. It's Latin for free the oppressed. It's also, mm-hmm. I was a former Green Beret. It's the right. Green Beret motto also. But in Luke 4.18, Jesus says, For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to free the oppressed. 
So everybody, it looks like a military design t-shirt, kind of like grunt style, but it's not. It's actually a Luke 418, Jesus, you free the oppressed t-shirt. Come on. On the back of the t-shirt, it actually says free the oppressed, and I took my knife. The knife that I received when I became a Green Beret, when I graduated, they handed me this Yarborough knife. I actually took a photo of it, and we imposed it on the back of the shirt, and I put 418 on it. Because everybody loves a secret. And Tim Tebow said this, and, and I'm going somewhere with this story. Tim Tebow said, during my championship game in college, I put John 316 under my eyes. And it was Googled 90 million times. I did hear that. Wow. Right? 90 million times. So I put 418 on the back of the shirt. I didn't put Luke 418. I put 418 because everybody loves a secret these days. Everybody has a, a smartphone and they, the, you'll be standing in line wherever you're at in Whittier, maybe at Rick's. You know, wow. <laughs> come on, <laughs> or maybe uptown Whittier somewhere. Yeah, and um, someone's gonna Google 418, it's gonna lead them to the Jesus that frees the oppressed. But here's my point why did 90 million people have to Google three John 316? Did that many people not know it? Oh, <laughs> think about point. that. That is that is one of the baseline scriptures that you learn, right? As a child growing up. And I'm not saying that I, I know that college football is a big deal in the United States. Um, but how many nations outside the United States are watching our college football? I'm not saying that. Who knows? Maybe maybe it's bigger than I think. But 90 million people had to Google John 316 and didn't know it. Wow. Never thought of it that way. No, that's like, but uh, I've heard of other pastors talk about Bible illiteracy. Where people are are googling or searching these, um, um, they call them memory verses, which my son is great at, and it's like it's something that should have been foundational. Like you should know John three sixteen, you know what I mean, or you know Proverbs thirty one woman. Like people don't know these these Bible verses, and it's and it's kind of fr it's frightening because then uh, they could be led led astray by a bunch of stuff, and that's crazy. But Again, it you know foundational as, as it is with the youth, but so you being marked at four years old, how was your life after that? Did you continue to come to church, or did you uh, did you hop back on that bus? Yeah, I don't remember ever getting back on the bus again. But what I do remember is we had like some neighbors in our community, and they would they would have like VBS vacation Bible school. And right. I remember going and, and I remember we had to memorize scriptures. So little, little things in my life, like the Lord just kind of kept his fingerprint there, but we weren't avid church goers. I would say the way I made it back to this point right here and here at city reach church and on this podcast is that I had a praying grandmama. Come mm. on. I'm here because of evidence of prayers of, a, of the righteous, right? My grandmother you know, I, I was raised in right there in Uptown Whittier. Um, we typically went to St. Mary's Church. That was that was like where we went. Um, back then, I would say that I identified as Catholic, um, but because I was told I was Catholic, it wasn't right. because I had a relationship with Jesus or because I was trying to do anything. It was I, I would it was just culture for me. I, I grew up like you're Catholic. Oh, okay, I'm Catholic. So if anyone ever asked me, I was Catholic. But right. if you asked me what John three sixteen was, I would have had to Google it like everybody else. <laughs> right. Right. So Jesus during that time as I was growing up, my grandmother was praying, but he was just the picture on the wall or the statue. Okay. Right? right. I didn't have a relationship with him. He was the God that we went to we went to go visit on 
Easter, Palm Sunday, Ash Wednesday, those days, but there was no relationship. My grandmother had a relationship with Jesus. She didn't. She wasn't also evangelizing me. She was just praying for me and like, trying to lead us in the right direction. So was she Christian then? She is. Well, wow. Yeah. Well, she's no longer alive, but right. she would probably identify as Catholic as well. Oh, but, yeah. but she had a relationship with Jesus. Um, and here's where... Here's where the story kind of pivots, because although God is calling me at a young age, and I didn't know it, and he and he had my grandmother is the, I would say that she had the mantle to pray for the family. That was her assignment, and that's why, you know, that's why a lot of times people they end up in churches and somebody will walk up and say, I got a word for you. The Lord is saying that you're going to serve him. And and instinctly, a lot of times the Lord told me to tell you, you are going to serve him. And so they think that, Oh, that means I'm going to be a pastor, a preacher, a teacher, an evangelist. Yeah. You can operate in those offices right. and never take a stage. Like my grandmother, mm. what, what assignment did Jesus give her? But her assignment was to pray me through, life so that one day I can get on that stage. Yes. So what happens sometimes is, Hey, God just sometimes just needs you to be a grandma. Sometimes he just needs you to be a father to that child, you know? Yeah. Or, or maybe you will be a, a preacher or a teacher. So during that time as grandmother's praying our family through, I lose my dad. Mm. My actual biological father right. dies at 34 years old, of cirrhosis of the liver. So the enemy when I walked in this church, he made it his mission to come after me and my family to destroy the future of what God was going to do. So what did he do? He tried to take the head off first because without the head, where's the body going? Mm. It goes nowhere. In the homes today, the youth, especially in the inner cities, the, the statistics, and I don't have them in front of me, but a fatherless generation right now is what is what our society is plagued with. You know, I often tell people, you want to know who's burning down cities? Fatherless generations. That's who's burning down cities. People didn't grow up with daddy in their home. And so the enemy took my dad at a young age. So now, as God being my father should have been a reflection to my dad in my home, and he should have been the image and likeness of our heavenly father. So he should have reflected heaven in our home. Right. He should have been the image and likeness of Jesus of God in our home, but he wasn't there to reflect it. And although I had a good grandmother, although I had a good mom and I had a stepfather that came into my life and I had men, no one could ever replace your biological father because as you're beginning to grow up, you're beginning to try to figure out your identity. Right. Every kid right now, what is the greatest challenge identity yeah. everyone's trying to figure out who they were who they are and so when there's no dad every girl and boy doesn't matter their age they need to be affirmed by their daddy so at a young age i i had questions if i turned in the mirror and i looked i wonder if my dad looked like this i wonder when i did this i wonder if my i'm doing it that way because my dad would do it that way and I could never get those questions answered because he wasn't there. And so that was a that was a point of contention for me early on 
And so what I started doing is I started looking for daddy outside the home. And I found him in my knuckleheaded friends because I allowed them to be the, my source of affirmation. Even though I had a good home, even though grandma was praying, even though I had a good mom who was just trying to hold the family together, I had a stepfather that stepped in my life and was being an example to me. But I needed dad. And I, I didn't allow them to hold that role. I gave it to somebody else. Wow. And those were my knuckleheaded friends that led, and we ended up in gangs here in Whittier. Right. I got into gangs, got into drugs, and the, which is the whole reason why I had to join the military. Because it was go to war, go to jail. Wow. I straight blood in, blood out. <laughs> so I, I, I was reflecting when you said that uh, during your preaching about needing affirmation. From daddy. So my parents have like 30-some year gap between them, my my mom and my dad. So when I was born, my dad was like 56, 57, something like that. My mom was 24. And so the dad that I grew up with was different than the dad. My, my half-brothers were born with. Um the biggest problem as an adult, especially after he passed away, was I wonder what he liked. I wonder what music he liked. I wonder if he did this. So what you're saying right now hits home. Eventually, once I grew a relationship with my my brother, who looks like my exact Twinkie, at just 30 years, it's, it's a really weird 30-year mirror to look at. I had to ask, what about this? What about that? What about this? Because, yes, unfortunately, by the time I grew up and I have some consciousness, I had a relationship with him, but he was bedridden. Like, he was old and this and that, so it wasn't the same. And there's all these bunch of questions. And, I w yeah, like, I, I, I went through the motions of, like, well, did he love me? Did he really care about me? Did really this? I know he did, but I never got to hear it. And there was other things uh, during that preaching that I was reflecting on and how we go and try to look for that affirmation somewhere else. You found it in your knucklehead friends and drugs and this and that. And I started reflecting very vividly on maybe not affirm affirmation from daddy. I was looking at other instances in another situation where because I never got this, I went looking for it somewhere else and i started listing all the stupidities that i went through and i'm like oh i don't know why i just had it during that preaching but i was like that's why i did all that and then like again looking for comfort that's why i would get drunk with all these friends and try to have this friendship and try to be the popular guy and try to, I'm like, oh that's why i was just looking for affirmation I don't know why that didn't hit me until until you're preaching, but I was like, oh, that's why I went, went down the rabbit hole. <laughs> you know, and I'm glad you're saying that because that's, it, it wasn't until recently that this revelation hit me. So it it's not something that I've, that I've known all these years. It's something that the Lord just re, like opened up my understanding to why I was doing things so that I can go out and share and bring the truth to people like mm -hmm. what you just experienced. 
But here's the greatest deception, and I said it the other night. Just like Eve being deceived. See, the enemy can't put a curse on you, but what he can do is get you to believe lies. Mm. Just like Eve right in the garden. He said, when you eat of the fruit, you'll be like God. The greatest deception is she already was like God. Right. So, for me, you don't have a dad. You don't have a dad. But the truth was I always had a father, but I just didn't stop to try to find him or let him love me. I went looking in the world for him when he was already there. He led me into this church when I was four years old to let me know that I'm going to end up without a father or without a daddy. But he was letting me know, son, I'm your father. You look up to me. Jesus in Luke chapter three is baptized by John the Baptist. He comes out of the water. And before he starts his ministry, before he does one thing for the kingdom of heaven, his dad looks at him, affirms him in front of the entire world and says, you are my son in who I'm well pleased. That's, that's our, that's our father. The reason why I use daddy is because I, we've all had a father we just didn't stop long enough to let him speak to us. Mm. We went looking for him in other ways through other people. Right. right. And he led me here at four years old to let me know today I'm becoming your father and I want you to know that. But from that point on, I was too busy. I was too busy. And I was on a different frequency, I guess I'd probably say, until finally he really had to get my attention. So what did he do? He put grandma in my life to make sure that she prayed me through that stuff. Mm. Yeah, I identify with the praying um, grandma because uh, I always tell everybody, my grandmother, just like your grandma, um, she was never, you know, held in office as far as like working full time ministry, but she was she was always evangelizing to us anytime we got together. She was always praying for us. She would call us. She never out of twenty seven grandkids. She never once forgets one one of them's birthday. So we always get a call. Wow. Yes. We always get a call. She's like, I'm praying for you, this and that. And so a lot of those situations, like you said, in, man, I'm having revelation while we're talking about this. So, you you know, like you said, we have always had a father, but the daddy was probably wasn't always there. Yes, my father was in the home, but he wasn't in the home, if that He's makes sense. Absent. Right. It's an absent parent. Right. And so even the world calls it daddy issues. They don't call them father issues. They call them daddy issues because you don't have a, a dad or a daddy in, in your life, supposedly. And I, I was looking for that validation. I wouldn't get it from him. So I, like you, found some knucklehead um, friends to find validation. You do some really dumb stuff that essentially you sh I should have been dead twice. Yep, same. And so my because of my praying grandmother it's like you look back and it's like man you look back at the car and like man how is it that i'm here walking and alive but i know now it's, a, it's for a purpose and when um my on my mom and my grandma both attend this church too um they usually come for our second service because she's just like a later service but she always has this joy about her when she's when she sees me specifically, but when she sees like um, my uncle, which is her youngest son, serving here too, 
and a lot of you know other people around us that are related to me that will come she like this joy but she still goes back home and whoever hasn't started following the lord she's st she's still going to war for them and it's the crate and to me it's like you, you hear hearing you say those words from somebody else it's like it's, i to me it brings this joy and this peace in my heart because i can affirm that yes these prayers they don't leave earth and they do come forth and come to pass because God is not man who he should lie. He's always faithful. Well, and, and let me say this. So the Bible says, Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, if I abide in you, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask anything in my name and it'll be done. Right. Right. So right. your grandmother, my grandmother who abided in Christ and his word abided in them, they can ask anything and it'll be done. Yeah, that's why you go into the Bible and it says, uh, you know, the prayers of the faithful, the prayers of the righteous availeth much, right? Like I'm listening to you because we have a relationship. You're right. my son. You're my daughter. And when you speak, you have the authority. So here's what it looks like. And it's probably a prayer that your grandma would, would be similar. And I'm saying this for a reason for your podcast listeners. When I pray every single morning, this is what it sounds like. And I'm going to give an abbreviation but I want to ask you, listeners, who is praying for your children by name if you're not doing it? Who? <laughs> so wow. my wife and I, we wake up in the morning, we grab hands, and we pray. And I'm not saying it's, you know, we jump right out of bed and we grab hands. But I'm just saying, so we're not, I'm not trying to be all religious about it. But we start our day with a prayer that looks like this. Father, I thank you. Father, I thank you, you're holy, right? Because you enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So you thank him and you praise him. Then the next thing is we thank him for a hedge of protection around our home, our children, and we do this. Angel, Tia, Mason, Jr., Maddie, Lily, Alice, Jason, Alyssa, Jeremy, Savannah. I just named my wife and all my children and my grandchildren by name. Then I repent of my sins. The Bible says in Job chapter 1 that that Job would do sacrifices because he said, Lord, my children last night, they were likely partying and they may have cursed you in their heart. So I'm going to do a sacrifice for my children. So you know what I do? I repent for the, my sins. I re, my wife repents of her sins. And then I say, Lord, I repent of the sins of Tia Mason, Jr., Maddie, Lily, Alice, Jason, Lisa, Jeremy, Savannah. I, I do that by name. The other thing I do is I put on our armor. We're in a war. Right. The Bible says that we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. So I put on the armor for me and my children. I, I pray a Psalm 91 hedge of protection over them. And then I prophesy into their life. I speak prophecy into their life. I speak life into them and call out their destiny like maybe my grandmother did. I'm here right now because someone spoke words of affirmation into the atmosphere and they manifest it. And today I'm here for a, 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 from a lady, from prayers from a lady that is no longer even on the earth. And never once got to watch me preach the gospel. Wow. I'm here because of a faith, because of a praying grandma and a faithful God. Amen. Amen. So, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm also having reflective moments. <laughs> yeah, this now, is a good <laughs> and now uh, you also mentioned that you know um, you were in the military or eventually walked into the military. How did that come about, and how did that go? Uh, after 
I would say my senior year in high school, I wasn't a like a drug addict or anything like that. I mean, I drank some beers here and there. I, you know, so I wasn't like a like a big drug user or anything like that. Um, but in my senior year in high school, I got introduced to methamphetamines. Ooh, mm. and you know, we think we have these ideas that that we can control things in our lives, like drug addiction. I couldn't. And my sister, she saw right through the addiction because people that are addicted, it doesn't matter what you're addicted to. Some people, they're addicted to pornography on their phone. Actually, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people in the church. There's a lot of men, even women these days that are addicted to pornography. The world sees it. It comes out in your home and it come out, it'll come out in your bedroom. Uh, but my sister saw through the addictions and I, I often say that my sister was the, was the evidence of grandmother's prayers. She mm. was the hands and feet to grandma's prayers. So my sister confronted me and said, you need to get out of here. You'll be a loser the rest of your life. So I ended up just making it out of high school. And two years after, or in the process, as we're leading up into the military, my sister has me living with her in Ranch Cucamonga, and she's watching me, and she's like, you need to get out of here. And I said, well, what do I do? She said, you need to join the military. And I said, man, that's not for me. Hmm. but she kind of, she just persuaded me. Finally, I went and see this recruiter in Pasadena army recruiter. I take that ASVAB test because I also know that nothing good is happening. I, I started having little bouts. Um, when you don't sleep because of drugs, when you don't sleep, your mind starts doing crazy things. Right. There were times when I was very paranoid looking out the window and everybody's like, what is going on? This dude's losing his mind. Uh, I remember working for a cup. Uh, I used to deliver meat to Mexican restaurants. And I remember driving one time, driving in, in the in the van where I'm going to go deliver meat. And all of a sudden I felt it didn't even happen. But in my mind, it happened. The van, like all of a sudden lifted in the back. And I felt like I was driving like like. It was lowered in the front, like the Cheech and Chong van. You know what I mean? Like, like the Cheech and Chong van, right? It was almost like the back lifted and the front lowered, and I was driving. And I drove back to work, and I said, there's something wrong with the van. And that, my boss came, and he said, there's nothing wrong with this van. And so all these little instances were happening, and I was like, I was realizing that I, I felt like I was losing my mind. But it was because you, I wasn't sleeping. I was just staying on drugs, staying on drugs. And so... I go and take the the test for this army recruiter and to join the military. And I don't, I actually failed the, the entry exam. You got a score of 30. I scored a 29. I went back six, six weeks later or something like that. When they, when you're allowed to take it again, they, they make you go and study. I didn't study. I don't know what I did different. My, actually my recruiter, the, the, the used car salesman that he was, <laughs> he says, Hey, just don't leave no. Just don't leave no answers blank. Just fill them in, even if you got a guess. Just don't leave. No, at least you oh, get. Wow. A, at least you get a shot. You right. know. So that's what I did. I just made sure that I didn't. I didn't leave anything. I answered as much as I could, but when I had the last minute, I just went through and just bubbled everything, abacadabra, all the way down. Right. <laughs> so I I score thirty one, and so then I go and I sit with the you know with the career officer, and and he's like, well, what do you want to do? Well. When you score 31, you know, the, you know, the, the big book's not open to you. You get the small book. Not many doors. <laughs> That's are, right. Yeah. Or revealed to you. So I was like, okay, well, a lot of, a lot of the men in my family were truck drivers. And I said, you know what? I don't really care. I just need some discipline and a skill, um, and some healthcare. And the thing is 
I also had a son at ninth grade. So I was giving my son exactly what I received, which was nothing. So I also went to the military or, or attempted to go to the military for him because I knew that I had to do something for him. So they said, hey, truck driver's available. And they said, oh, it's not truck driving. It's motor transport operator. Of course. Like, yeah, of course. That's right. how you earn that's the stripes. Fancy. That's, yeah, that's right. Those, those big names, right? So anyways, right. Uh, long story short, in June of 1998, I joined the U.S. Army, and I shipped off to basic training. And then uh, I went to truck driver training, which is my advanced individual training. And then I went to airborne school. So I started jumping out of airplanes. I was scared as heck. I was afraid of heights. I'm I'm still not happy with heights. Um, how'd you end up there? I mean, how'd you end up from driving trucks to... Jumping out of planes. I know. Well, they have airborne truck drivers. They have airborne cooks. They have airborne infantry. So it's just a, it's just a unit. But what happened is when I was in truck driving school at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, the class before us... You know, kind of like I was the junior class, the senior class was getting ready to graduate. When they got their orders for their assignments of where they were going to get stationed, like 90% of them got Korea. And I was oh, like, wow. I was like, no way. <laughs> this dude has never left Whittier the first time. Now, here I am. I go to South Carolina for basic training. I'm in Missouri for, you know, AIT, at advanced individual training. I'm going to be a truck driver. I, I assumed that I was going to end up in Korea. Right. So drill sergeant walks in. And I wasn't really good at school back then. I wasn't really educated. Um, so geography wasn't a, wasn't a big thing to me. But the drill sergeant walks in. And he says, hey, who wants to go airborne? Whoever goes airborne, it's 99% that you're going to end up in North Carolina. So I said, well, <laughs> if I go airborne, I'm not going to Korea. So I, I raised my hand and I volunteered to go to airborne school. Because I knew that airborne, that that North Carolina was somewhere on the right side of the United States. <laughs> I I couldn't point it out for you back then, but I knew it was somewhere on the right hand side of the United oh, States. Oh, there were Florida's that uh, somewhere. Yeah, over it's there. like it's somewhere in this corner, but I knew it wasn't Korea. <laughs> and I have to tell people, hey, don't volunteer, man, especially in the military. <laughs> so here's here's what happened. So now we're the senior class and we're getting ready to graduate and everybody gets their orders and, and they're getting their assignments. And I start laughing because I'm like, I know I'm going to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, but these guys, they're going to end up in Korea. Right. They got orders to go to Hawaii. Oh, my class got orders to go to Hawaii. <laughs> I went to North Carolina and I'm like, what is going on? So anyways, long story short, I, I show up as an airborne. Tr I go to airborne school from truck driving. I, jump out of airplanes, I get certified as a paratrooper, and then I go to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, home of the 82nd Airborne Division, and I'm there. Uh, I spent about, about three years, so from 1998 to 2003, I end up, uh, I, I'm with the 82nd Airborne Division, but then during those, during those years, I see these Army Rangers in Green Berets, and I'm like, man, those guys are the best, right? Those is good. Those, those top are the, of the elite. Top. Yeah, th these are the elite warfighters. And whenever these Green Berets would walk down the road, people would literally like cross the street, like, whoa, like, man, th they were the best. They commanded respect. That's right. And, and you know what? Rightfully so. so. But here's what happens I said it earlier, and I said it on church on Wednesday. 
I was looking for something. I was looking for affirmation. I needed it. And so what I realized today is that I was running around with like an orphan heart and I needed people to affirm me. You know, there's a lot of people that are dealing with daddy, mommy, daddy issues, stuff that a lot of people join the military because they're trying to escape their life or, the, or they need to change their life. And a lot of a lot of what happens is people bring their baggage, whether whether it comes out or they tuck it away and they, they put it into a closet and they say, I'm never opening that door again. Right. But it's childhood trauma. People people have childhood trauma, whether they deal with it or not. Right. And it stays in the closet. So for me, I would say my childhood trauma, as we talked about earlier, is not having my daddy needing affirmation because I never got it from my daddy. So here I am as a Green Beret, and everyone's talking about how these Green Berets are the best. Or here I am, here I am in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and everybody's talking about how these Green Berets are the best. Well, what did I need then? I needed affirmation. I, I craved affirmation. So I needed my friends, my peers at the time, to affirm me. So what did I do? I started telling everybody I was going to be a Green Beret. I didn't even I didn't even think I was I didn't even know what a Green Beret was, other than the guy with the green. Cool. That's right. But everybody looked up to them, and everybody knew that they were the best. And so I needed everybody to turn those eyes and those affirmations to me. Mm. So what did I start doing? I just start talking, start running my mouth. All right. Hey, I'm going to be a Green Beret. I didn't, I didn't even have plans to go be a Green Beret, but what it did is people started saying, oh, hey, Arroyo, because in the military, you go by, everyone calls you by your last name. Hey, Arroyo, oh, man, you're so cool. Hey, did you hear Arroyo's going to go out and try to be a Green Beret? Oh, man, he's so cool. And it was like, mm, it, just, it just fed that orphan heart, right? I, was, I started getting, you know what, today I actually call it chasing likes. So in our yeah, generation, yeah. In, in our generation, it would be my social media likes, right? Right. So what I was doing is I was chasing likes. That some of your listeners would may, may understand that, right? You do oh, a post. I, under, I understand that, dude. Oh, oh, man, I did that in my 20s. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes complete sense. Go on. Yeah. So, so I was chasing likes. And... I didn't, I didn't think that I was ever going to be a Green Beret until one day someone pulled my card. I had one of my friends walk up to me and he says, hey, John, why don't you, try to, why don't you go be a Green Beret? Why don't you try out or shut your mouth? Mm. Oh, oh. So, so he called me out on right. social media in a sense, you know what I mean? Right. But in front of all my peers and I was like, man, well, I guess I got to try out because I brand my mouth for a long time. Right. So I end up, I end up going to selection uh, Navy SEALs, they have the buds training, you know, and they, right. they go through hell week and all that. For Green Berets, it's like 24 days of some of the most intense emotionally, mentally, and physical training. So I go and actually start September 10, 2001. Many people know what happened September 11th. So right. September 10th, the day before the terrorist attacks in the United States, I start selection. On September 11, 2001, the very next day, the colonel comes in, brings us into a room and says, today we're now a nation at war. And everybody said, no, we're not. It's part of the scenario, right? right. I mean, being a Green Beret, you know? And he said, no, if you want to be a part of what's going to happen in the next few years, you're in the right place at the right time. So I make it all the way to the end, and I get finished. And they, sit, they bring me into this boardroom, and the colonel and all these other instructors are there, and they say, 
academically, we don't think that you're going to make it through our training program, so I'm sorry. You didn't make it. So essentially what they were telling me was, you're not smart enough. You know, up until that point, even in junior high at Dexter High School, in Dexter um, Middle School, I didn't graduate. They just passed me along into high school. I didn't cross an academic stage there. In Whittier High School, in summer school, the teacher's assistants gave me the answers to the test after graduation, and that's how I made it. I cheated through high school. Now, here I am. I fail the entry exam into the military. I make it by one point. Now, I stand in front of this colonel, and he says, you're not smart enough. And, you know, here I am today with a doctorate degree. But back then, I wouldn't say that I, that I wasn't smart, but I wasn't applying myself. And I had failed and failed and failed. I, fa- I have failed more things than I've ever succeeded at in my life. But something just keeps having me to get up, keep having me to put one foot in front of the other. And, you know, I often tell people, I believe that God, God didn't cause me to fail, but he used it. And one of the things that failure helped me to understand is humility, that I actually needed to lean on something greater than me. Because back then it was all about me and I was going to make it happen. But every time I tried to strive to make the next thing happen, it's like I hit a roadblock or I was told you're not smart enough. But when I, when I, took, when I took the sights off of me and I handed over my life to Jesus and I lined up with his perfect will, from that point on, I succeeded at everything, every time at the highest levels when it wasn't about me. And it wasn't about me trying to put another badge on my uniform or another tab on my shoulder that told me that I was special or I was a ranger, I was a jump master, or look at me, my uniform, I'm the best Green Beret, I, I can shoot the best. When I set all those things down that, that really I was using to affirm my manhood because I didn't get it as a kid, right. mm. That's all it was. I was really just looking for affirmation and I was trying to fill my uniform up in my in my certificates and in credentials. That's what I was doing. I was really just trying to be affirmed and I was using the things of this world to give me identity. Mm. You know, I want to share this story real quick. I have a friend, really really good friend, and this guy is the green beret of all green berets. I mean, Every school he ever attended, he was the honor grad. I mean, he was the best. He had every badge, every school. I mean, he was it. But he finally got a job that that is like the pinnacle job of your career, which is a team sergeant job. And I mean, every Green Beret wants this job, and it's the it's. I mean, it's it. When you make it to this point, you've made it. Right. Hmm. And he's in this job for a few months and he gets fired and he nearly kills himself. But this is where you see the intervention of God. This is where a praying grandma or a praying mama uh, comes in. And this is where no one can pluck you out of the hand of God. So my friend, see, he didn't know who he was. His identity was in his uniform, was in all his achievements, right. is in everything that he ever did. Right. Right. Being the honor grad, being the best sniper, being the best shooter. I mean, it was it. That's who his identity was. So when his identity was challenged, he didn't know who he was. Wow. And so he's sitting in his car with a pistol in his hand 
and he's getting ready to take his life because his finally his identity came to reality that it's not about him. Mm. And right in that moment before he takes his life, his phone rings and it's his mom. Wow. And that's why no one can no one can ever tell me right now that God doesn't intervene even for the lost. Everybody, there'll be nobody without excuse. No one will ever be able to say, God, you weren't there. Well, first of all, the Bible says that he puts eternity in our heart. And the second thing is his creation. He said that you knew me just by my creation alone. No one will be without excuse. But like me and like some of you, I had a praying grandmama and that dude had a praying mama. And right there in that moment, God intervened by sending his mom and she stopped him. And today he's alive because of a praying mother. It's amazing. Wow. Wow. That is amazing. Oof. I'm like trying to process all this and reflect at the same time. It's okay. This Tears is, are fine. Tears uh, are fine. <laughs> so now that you're a green, that you were a green parade and I heard that you were, you became captain, right? You were, a fr- you were an officer in the army. Mm-hmm. How long did that last for? Uh, until I finished my career. So I was enlisted up to 15, about 15 years, but I would say about year, about year 10, um, I had been a Green Beret already up to that point for several years, and I had been on the do- uh, direct action team, kind of yeah. like SWAT, right? right? So we would go in, and we would hood bad guys and, and drag them out of their beds in the middle of the night in Iraq. Um, I've been on a mobility team, you know, where we just travel through Afghanistan looking for bad guys and trying to win hearts and minds and build other militaries. Right. Um, and also I was on a special project team where I traveled all, all over the United States um, testing security at critical infrastructure. So what I'm saying is I had all these, I had a great bit of experiences and I began at my 10 year mark in the military. I began to look at the future and right. how I was going to feed my family. Like wh- how was I going to provide for them? Cause no one was going to chase me to, no one was going to pay me to chase bad guys up mountains anymore, right. you know, or, you know, when you're, when you become a Green Beret, Delta Force operator, Navy SEAL, something like that, you're essentially a military athlete, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have to be at top peak performance, and you have to be ready to go right now. Like, if right now we got a mission, you better be able to get up and climb that mountain. Right. Well, think about your – think about Kobe Bryant at the end of his career, how his knees and his legs and things like that. I mean, and this guy's just running – you know, they're playing, and so – your body can only do that for so long, right? Right. So I began to think about, well, how am I going to feed my family after? And so I transitioned and I applied for this officer program and uh, the military sent me to college for two years. And, and again, we talk about seeing the fingerprint of God right on our lives. Right. When I ended up in, in college, I got a history degree. Don't ask me anything, guys. I don't remember. <laughs> I got a history degree. But as I look back today and I didn't even realize it, the school that I went to was a Baptist college. Wow. And I wasn't there for a Bible degree. But everybody that goes to their school has to take New Testament 1 and Old Testament. So mm. what was God doing? Little by little, he was saying, you're going to learn about me. You don't even know how I'm going to use you. Right. And you can look back and you could just see grandma's prayers just come into fruition. So anyways, I become a I become an Army officer and— uh, I had been on Fort Bragg, North Carolina for when I graduate college, I become this army officer. I, at that point I had been on North Carolina and Fort Bragg for 15 years. And I said, let's go somewhere else. Like, cause I know that if I stay here, I got to jump out of airplanes. I, I don't want to do that no more. Uh, so I asked to go to Texas. Right. 
So about November of 2013, my wife and I end up at Fort Hood, Texas, a uh, military base. We're there, and uh, my first, I want to tell this because this is important. My first assignment, like when I first got there, I knew that these young soldiers were going to challenge me because I remember that from my 82nd days. When we got a new leader, we were going to challenge them, and we were going to run. So I was expecting this challenge. <laughs> so here we are. This is my very first day. As a, as a platoon leader, I'm an officer now. I'm in the back, and I'm stretching. We're, we're at PT. It's 6.30 in the morning, right? right. You, most people do more before 6.30 in the morning before not, before than most people do all day, you know? Right. So, um, or most people do more before 9 o'clock. That was the old slogan. Most people do more before 9 o'clock than most people do all day. So, anyways, at 6.30 in the morning, we're stretching. We're getting ready to do physical training. And I have about 40 soldiers in front of me. And the sergeant in front turns, and he says, all right, if you can't run or if you can't do this physical training, I need you to step aside. I'm not really paying attention to him because I'm at this point, I'm 36 years old. I'm stretching, right? I had been chasing bad guys up mountains for a long time. So it takes me a little bit longer to stretch. I'm not 20 years old like these kids. So I'm stretching and I something something just turns me around. I pick my head up in the formation move like I had only two soldiers standing in front of me at this point. <laughs> the formation shifted. I had 38 soldiers now to the left that couldn't do physical training and only two in front of me. And I was like, what just happened? But here's what happened. All these soldiers that couldn't do physical training, it was a leadership challenge for me, and I think a lot of people need to hear this. You know, some of those guys, they couldn't run because of knees or back or, or whatever, the, whatever the medical diagnosis is. But they were still effective members of the U.S. military. Right. And without them, I couldn't do my job, and we couldn't go win wars. Right. But what happens is I needed to help them understand that that diagnosis or that word that they got from the doctor was not their identity. Mm. And there's a lot of people on your podcast right now that they've lived with sickness and disease or they've had something go on in their life and it's become their identity. They've had a doctor prophesy to them and tell them that you have this, you have that. And they don't open up the word of God where it says, by his stripes you are healed. Right. Those who keep my word, my word is life to those who find it and it's healing to their flesh. They don't, they don't open up the word and say, I choose to believe this. So with these, with these young soldiers, I had to help them identify with the truth rather than what they've been told or what they've been prophesied over them or what their diagnosis. Because even in, even in the military community today, there's a lot of veterans that, that when you talk to them, the first thing they say is, I'm 100% disabled veteran. Well, well, what's your name? You know, like, oh, I, man. I, I, I get it. I get it that right. you're 100% disabled veteran. But they, they take that into their identity right. rather than saying, I'm saved, healed, set free, and delivered by Jesus Christ. And regardless of what I've been through, I'm going to make it. No, what happens is, just like those soldiers, they WebMD their situations. They find out what's going on, and then they tell God how he's going to fix it based on what WebMD or some doctor said. Wow. So anyways, let me fast forward. So now my wife and I, We've been on Fort Hood about five months. It's April 2nd of 2014, and it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I have to go to my unit headquarters, and I'm getting out of my car, and I try to get over to the supply office before they shut down and everyone leaves for the day. And as soon as I shut the door to my car, uh, I start stepping away, and all of a sudden I hear shots fired. 
Now, I'm in a parking lot on base behind security. When I went to work that day, someone had a badge, a gun, body armor, and I was behind them. Like, no one thinks that they're in danger on base. Right. So I turned my head to 1 o'clock where I heard the shots fired, and I'm looking, and a car pulls up in front of me, and I see the car, and I acknowledge the individual, but I think the car's going to keep going. I didn't realize that at that moment the car actually stopped. So I turned my head back to the 1 o'clock where I heard the shots fired, and the next shot I heard ripped through my throat. April 2nd of 2014, one soldier specialist, Ivan Lopez, was on a shooting spree, and he shot 19 of us. So when I had turned my head to the 1 o'clock to where I heard shots fired, what was happening is he was driving down the road, and everybody he saw, he was shooting at them. So I was hearing him shoot at other people. I didn't realize that he had a gun. He pulls up in front of me. I, I acknowledge the vehicle, but I assume he's going to keep going. The next shot I heard ripped through my throat. I take a 45 that severs my jugular vein. It goes from my neck, from the left side of my neck through the right side of my neck. But it, essentially, it goes from my left jugular vein all the way through my, ref, my, my right shoulder. He drives off. I turn, and I walk back towards my car just trying to get away from him. And I fall flat on my face. And it's in that moment that my life is pouring out. And I begin to reflect. I, re I begin to reflect on who I was and the man I was in the seconds that I assume I had left to live. See, guys, because when you take a forty-five caliber point blank through your throat, you, you normally should only have seconds to live. But here's the other thing that I think your listeners need to listen to. Because I said it earlier, from the moment I walk into this church, right. the enemy made it his mission to, to destroy me. Mm. Right. He tried to do it through drugs. He tried to do it through gangs. He tried to do it through circumstances. He tried to do it through deployments. He tried to do it through alcoholism. He tried to do it in all these other ways. But like Eve, he couldn't finally get me in those ways. So he went overt. He went, he went, we need to, we need to stop this guy now before the promise actually manifests. Uh. So today you guys said it, we got John Arroyo. We got evangelist John Arroyo. What does an evangelist use in order to preach the gospel? He uses his voice. He uses right. his mouth. Right. That bullet could have struck me. He shot me from 15 yards away. He could have hit me in the arm, the leg, the eye, the head, the hand. It could have completely missed me, but it didn't. It struck me point blank in my throat. What does God use today? My voice. Right. So your listeners need to hear this. Where's the call of God on their life? Mm. Where's God going to, where's the enemy going to fight them? Me, right here. So I turn, I head back to my car. I fall flat on my face. My life is pouring out. I'm reflecting. I'm thinking about my wife. I'm thinking about my children. I'm thinking about how I was an absent parent to my own children. How this orphan kid was so busy trying to build his career, trying to get all these accolades, trying to build all this stuff for, my, for a family that never even asked me for those things. All they ever asked me for, just like you, was for me to be present. Mm. They never asked me for a home or cars or anything. Although a family need those things, that's not what they asked me for. 
All my family ever asked me for was me. But I was too busy trying to fill the emptiness in my heart with stuff because my daddy wasn't there and I was running around like an orphan. And I was now leaving my children as orphans because I was too busy running out. So here I am. My life is pouring out on the ground. And I don't think one time about any of the material things, any of the titles, any of the certifications, all that stuff that I had made the majority of my life, that, that had become the priority of my life, not once did I think about those things. The only thing I thought about in the moments that I thought I had left to live were the people that I sacrificed the most. Mm. And it was in that moment as my life is pouring out and I begin to say, God, what happens to my kids God, who's going to take care of my wife? That I hear this audible voice, John, get up or your wife is going to die. I shrug it off because I, I don't understand You're what's like happening. It, like, what's going on? Not yeah, at this right. moment. Like, yeah. why am I thinking about that? Yeah. And then I hear it again. But this time more stern, John, get up or your wife is going to die. And friends, what I know today is that Jesus was audibly speaking to me. And what he was telling me was, John, if you don't get up off the ground, your wife is going to take her life. And you know, like a lot of your listeners, maybe if we stepped into their life right now, we would see maybe some of the things that are going on behind closed doors that no one else gets to see. Right. Here's what was going on in my life. Six months before I was shot, my wife, both her parents died nine days apart. So when I graduated officer school, right. my mother-in-law died of an aneurysm. Nine days later, my dad had, my father-in-law died of cancer. He was already dying. Mom was unexpected. Right. They died nine days apart. Two years before my in-laws die, my brother-in-law and my father-in-law were at a big hunting excursion. My father-in-law loads his gun. He sets it down, and it goes off on its own. It hits my brother-in-law in the hip. My brother-in-law dies in my father-in-law's arms. My wife lost her brother, her mother, her father. Now, six months after I'm on the ground, my life is pouring out. And what Jesus was saying is if you don't get up, your wife is going to kill herself. Wow. So I get up off the ground. I go to grab my throat. And right then, and I didn't say this on Wednesday, but right then, this pastor who we went into his church in 2009 because my wife and I had finally hit rock bottom, this pastor from North Carolina, he used to tell us to pray out loud. So as I get up off the ground, here I am, April 2nd of 2014, I hear, pray out loud. So what Jesus was asking me, what God was telling me right there in that moment was, I need you to ask me for help because you're going to need a miracle right now. But how do you pray out loud with being struck? So what happened is I just, I hear pray out loud and I, and I just went, that's when I realized I couldn't speak. But the Bible says that out of your heart flow the issues of life. And your heart is being tested where God's ear is, is not in your mouth. It's in your heart. So when I went to try to speak, nothing came out, right. but he heard my heart. Mm. So when I got up, I said, essentially, I was trying to say, Jesus, help. Right. And I said, G help. Like, I just couldn't even speak. And so I get up, I, I grab my throat. It looked like a Terminator movie, right? So my right arm's just dangling because the bullet had went through my right shoulder. Right. And I tried, to grab my, I tried to grab my throat with my right shoulder, and I couldn't do it. So I grabbed my throat with my left hand. I'm walking. I'm just stumbling. I'm just looking for anybody that would help me, right? Because we're soldiers. We're going to take care of each other. Right. So I see a soldier walking from a distance. We're now on the same walking path, and 
and I'm heading towards him and I'm just trying to hurry it. And I'm probably not going fast. My life is pouring out and he gets, he's walking towards me and, and I'm trying to call out to him, but I can't speak just like what we just said. And he gets 10 feet in front of me and he stops and his head's on a swivel and he's very hyper vigilant. And I stop because I'm like, man, there's something not right about this guy. You're not right. And you're already noticing that he's not right. either. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And so I stop because, because again, that instinct training right. of, of that being a special operator of, of knowing the enemy and knowing their mannerisms and, and how they conduct themselves. And all of a sudden this guy's his head's on a swivel and he's, and he just looks very like hyper vigilant. And I just stop and I'm like, man, there's something not right. And I realize at that moment that I'm standing in front of the man that just shot me. Oh, wow. So you're on. So you just got shot. You hear the audible voice of God. You get up, go to cry out, can't speak, and you encounter the guy that just shot you. That's exactly right. I mean, I'm assuming. Jeez. I'm assuming he's still holding the rifle in his hand. No, he had a pistol, and it was put away. Um, so yeah, it was put away. I didn't. I didn't see his gun at that point. I just saw him, and and here's how I know I was standing in front of the shooter. So he's very hyper vigilant. I'm standing in front of him. He looks towards me, looks to the left and right, like looks like he's looking all around. Right. And then he just turns and walks in front of walks into the doors of a building that him and I were both standing in front of. And I just start moving away. And at that moment I start moving away. I could hear him shooting in the building. I could hear him shooting other soldiers. Wow. So I knew. So that's how I put it all together, you know, because some people say, like, how would you know it was a shooter? I don't. So you didn't initially see him when he was in the car. So did he even get out of the car? No, like a drive-by, like a Cali, like a straight-up L.A. drive-by. Dear Lord. Wow. Yeah. So he, and here's the thing, when he pulled up, I saw him and I acknowledged him in that vehicle. But I thought the vehicle was going to keep driving because I was in a parking lot. It's like Walmart. Like, right. you, you think someone's going to shoot you in a park? You think they're just going to park? And so when I turned my head away from him being in the vehicle, I didn't realize that he stopped. And then he pulls out his gun. He Like, he must have had to hit it. He wasn't just driving with it out the window. Right, right. Um, because I probably would have saw it. But I was so fixated on where I heard the shots fired. Then the next shot I heard, I was hit. Like, I didn't try to duck. I didn't try to move it. I was just in the wide open. Um, so when I saw him face to face again, it was his actions being hyper vigilant that, that something wasn't right. And uh, so when he turns, goes into the building, I move away and I could hear him shooting in the building. And as a matter of fact, when these soldiers saw me, what alerted them to me, it looked like I had a red scarf flapping in the wind. It was the blood squirting out of my neck. Right. When they got me on the ground and they were getting ready to transport me to the hospital, I told them, he's in that building. He's in that building. You you still managed to tell him. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I ended up getting an award for it because they told me, they told me, you actually saved lives. Because when you told people where the shooter was, right. we made sure no one else went in that building because he would have shot them. Of course. As a matter of fact, when I, when I move away from him, this after they saw the blood and the the um, I turn, I see these soldiers that to the right of me, and they say so. They yell to me, "Soldier, are you okay?" And I turn and I yell back to them, "No, I've been shot. There's a shooter." I yell to those guys, but I couldn't yell to the guy that was standing in front of me. Wow! Wow! <laughs> That's mind blowing. That is. So they get me on the ground. They put me in the back of a truck. They, 
They rush me to the hospital. They're on, on the military base. A doctor has enough sense to put a tube in my throat. As a matter of fact, as they're getting me to the to the hospital, one of the soldiers said, he, he told me, hey, sir, don't speak, don't speak, because every time you spoke, you just spewed more blood out of your throat. Wow. He said, and, and as he said, I just told you, just keep squeezing my hand. He said, but as we were getting to the hospital, your squeeze was getting less and less. Right, because you're losing consciousness. You're losing everything. Yeah, yeah. And then I get in, I... I got a I got a message later on from a guy from that was an EMT, and he said, "Hey man, when you came in, he said I did something that you'll never find in a medical book." He said, "I just looked at you. You had this white. You, you were just pale white, and you had this look of fear on your face." And he said, "I looked at you and I told you you're gonna be okay." And this peace just came over you, and he said, "And I just stuck my fingers in your throat to try to stop your bleeding," and he said, "When you came in, you had guppy breathing." And I said, what's guppy breathing? What's he guppy said, breathing? He said, that's the breathing you have right before you expire. Mm. So they get me Oh, in. like a fish out of water. That's right. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Oh, wow. So they, they put a tube in my throat. They keep my airway open. My, he- my neck is now swelling. They get me to the elevator to get me in the OR. Now it's mass casualty situation, right? There's right. 19 of a shot. So people are literally slowly starting to come in. It's all over. They're locking everybody down. And they, uh, the door, the elevator doors open. And now at this point, all the doctors are rushing towards the ER trying to, you know, trying to get the patients. So any doctor that is available, they're all rushing to this situation to start caring for patients. When the elevator doors open and the nurses go to put me in the elevator, two doctors come running, come out of that same elevator trying to run towards the ER. And it was the ear, nose, and throat surgeons. Everything I needed was exactly where it needed to be. The moment I was obedient to the voice that told me to get up. Mm. Now, here's, I think, what I think your listeners need to hear, and I didn't say this on Wednesday. You know, I talked about it earlier, about, about changing that identity, right? Um, For those that had that diagnosis and things like that. There's so many people, they live in a cycle of dysfunction or, or their sickness or whatever becomes their identity. But for me, and maybe some of them, they can, they can just live in it because it's so familiar, right? right? So familiar. Being sick, depression, whatever. They're just so used to the dysfunction. So when I was on the ground, it was easier for me to stay on the ground and die that day. It was easier. I could have just stayed there. And they would have told my wife, Angel, don't worry, honey. It was a kill shot. John John never had a chance. The moment the bullet hit him, he just fell over. He was dead before he hit the ground, right? Because we always try to explain things out. Right. But I would have knew. See, when I was on the ground, Jesus actually told me what was going to happen to my family if I chose not to live. He says, if you don't get up, your wife is going to die. When I was a young soldier and I was a Green Beret coming back and forth on deployments, I was a mean, angry drunk. And during those times, as I brought war home with me, and I was a mean, angry drunk, and I was an absent father, my wife attempted suicide twice. And so what Jesus was saying is, your wife won't, she won't miss this time. Oof. But I'm telling you, you have an option to get up and to save your family. 
See, it wasn't even about you. It wasn't even about me. I was going to be the benefactor of choosing to live for my family. I was going to receive the benefits. But what God wanted was my family to be whole. And he was using that to bring healing to me and to bring restoration to my family. But I had to, I had a choice that moment. In that moment, Jesus didn't pick me up. And there's, there's so many times that, that people say like, Oh, who, who came to save you? And I said, you know, they're like, well, in our interview, can you not say God? Can you not say Jesus? And I said, well, they actually asked you that. That there's people that said like, well, can you not like say God, you know, especially early on when I was coming up and I wasn't, you know, this story wasn't fully developed yet. Right. Uh, you know, and I was like, but I would be lying because when I was on the ground, nobody was there. Yeah. Who who do you think gave me the will to get up? That's right. Like who, <laughs> who spoke to me to get exactly. The if, like, if, if, if there was somebody else there crazy. that I could give credit to, I would. Right. But there wasn't. So I'm giving credit to the one, the one that told me to get up, but he didn't pick me up. And this is what your listeners need to hear. Jesus didn't pick me up. He just told me to get up. In Luke, in John chapter five, he walks to Jesus walks to the pool of Bethesda, and there's all these invalids, and there's one man, and he's there, and he's been laying there for thirty eight years. The Bible right. says he's been there for thirty eight years, and Jesus walks up to him and says, "Do you want to get well?" Doesn't that sound like a dumb question? What? And so what? The, what does this guy do? He starts giving Jesus his his WebMD. Speech, wow. right? <laughs> and he's like, "But no one's here to put me in the water. No one. When the angel comes, no one can get me there. Right? right? All we do is we give Jesus our WebMD speech. We give him the reasons why we can't, why we won't. And he said, "Do you want to get well? Why? Because that guy's mentality, his condition, had been part of his mentality. That became his identity. Yes." So here I am on the ground, just like the man next to the pool of Bethesda. And essentially what Jesus was saying is, do you want your family to live? Do you want to live? Get up. And here's the thing. He spoke to me twice. Why? Because I didn't obey him the first time. Mm. Jesus shouldn't have had to tell me to get up twice. Wow. But he did in his sovereignty and his grace. Mercy. And what wow. and, and what if that was the last chance? I am having way too many reflective I moments. I know. Right? It's, it's because uh, so what I'm taking away from this this part of, the, of your testimony, your story is as men, as fathers, as priests of our household, how many times has God not called us to get up and do something because it's going to affect the trajectory of our, of our family? You're right. And think about this. So Jesus says, get up, your wife is going to die, right? Right. So he actually told me what was going to happen to my family. But what he didn't tell me is what was going to happen to my children once uncle's gone, grandma's gone, grandpa's gone, dad was just killed, and mom just took her life. Mm. (laughs) Wow. I I can't even fathom or begin to think, like, what what that would have caused or the door that would have opened for the enemy to come in and just put pour in this this bitterness of like towards God because we just lost dad and now mom took her life. Like what do we do from here? Like God doesn't exist 
Because if he did, he wouldn't allow these things to happen. Right. But again, I take you it grow back, up bitter. Right. And but I take it back to like again as as leaders of our household, like how many times has God not called us to to do something, to get up and do something? Because it it affects the outcome of our family. It affects the outcome of the relationship we're gonna have with our kids or or with our brothers and sisters in our in our lineage. You even brought something up on Wednesday too that you're breaking off generational curses and you're starting a setting firm the legacy for your family because it's your first time preaching at this church at this in this building and your grandson gets to see you preach for the first time and that was his first time in church oh, oh in general in general oh so, wow wow okay so my so my family what's happening is God is restoring my family but you know we live in Texas and so right. my kids they don't they're not frequent churchgoers that's why that's why we're here to spend time with them to be able to impart unto them so guess what so the very first church i walk into is the very first church my grandson walks into but this time grandpa's the preacher come on <laughs> that's what's wow up. full circle that's legacy and how old is your grandson two well uh, i was like i was hoping to hear four you know <laughs> Two plus two is four. There you go. There you go. But guys, I just uh, there's so much more, and we, and we can cover more. But you know, I just you know one last thing I want to say is that um, is the way I made it to this point because there there was so much about my wife and her recovery and right. and and everything that she was going on through with her family. But um, God confronted me after my, in my recovery, and you know who knows maybe we could do a part two or something, but. Uh, when, Sir, when, <laughs> if you would bless us with the part two, I would be more than. Oh yeah, but but um, <laughs> the recovery is the biggest part, and God confronts me and He says, "All right, now for you to heal, not physically, but emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, mm. you have to forgive the man that hurt you." Mm. Wow, and then you have to forgive yourself for hurting others. And friends, I just want to tell you, and I don't have a lot of time left, but. I just want to tell you that I'm here today because I was obedient to Jesus in forgiving Ivan Lopez and releasing him of the debt. And so unforgiveness is a root. Right. And the symptoms of the of the root are PTSD, depression, suicide, anger, rage, alcoholism, all the all those things that that people have to take medic me, medication for to manage symptoms. Right. Jesus was trying to heal me right off the bat and take the root out so that I can heal and wouldn't have to manage symptoms. So when I forgave Jesus, when I forgave the man that shot me and I forgave myself for hurting others, then the healing process started. And that's what I want to leave your listeners with. It's time to heal. Forgive the people that have hurt you. You don't have to go to them. Forgiveness is not between you and them. It's between you and God. And if God asks you to go forgive them face to face, then be obedient to him. But he didn't ask me to forgive the man that shot me because he was already dead. So what was going to happen is I was going to carry that bitterness. And bitterness will be cancer in your bones. Unforgiveness will be cancer in your bones if right. you don't forgive. Right, for sure. All right, hearing all this, I like I said, I've been having way too many reflective moments. I think I had reflective moments then during the preaching and having some now. <sighs> yeah, um, one of them is... Um, 
of course, like I said earlier about looking for, you know, affirmation in all the wrong places. Like I think we all have a yeah. uh, couple other ones that I feel like I, I had was identity. So before 2020, I'm just an A1. That's all I'm good for. I'm just an audio guy. I'm just an audio guy. And that's what I am. I'm audio life. That's it. That's, it. that's all I am. I start dating Yvonne 2017 and kind of make that clear. That's all I am. Whatever. 2020 happens. I'm one of the, my industry is one of the first ones to shut down for everybody else. Uh, I didn't know who I was. All I was was audio. Now I'm what? Because I'm like, what, what am I if I'm not an audio guy? And it was hard. And it was a season of change and reflection. And then that's around the time when I ended up here at City Reach. And I'm like, oh, I'm not just audio. I'm a child of God here. You know, I'm not so much more. I'm not just, even, even times being here, I'm not, oh, I'm not just a musician. Child of God, I'm this, I'm that. And so hear, hear, hearing that, yeah, once your identity is taken away and you see the reality, you're like, maybe I didn't have that extreme that your friend did of trying to take his life, but I had, then I started kind of lashing out because, you know, we we're all stuck at home. I was lashing out to my now wife at the time, like, oh, this and that, whatever. We had some of, that's what we, we talk about. Like, that's where we had our worst argument. Like, everything culminated to this one Saturday. And she kind of was, was trimming our dog's hair. And she kind of clipped his ear. And I blew up. Because, again, I no longer had my identity. So I'm now just grasping at anything to be like, this is me. Or this is this me? Is this me? So it's, re oh, man, trust me. <laughs> Again, Wednesday and today, I'm having so really reflective moments. <laughs> um, but now to finish off. Uh, so how was the transition from soldier to John Arroyo evangelist? How did that happen? How did that go? And how is that going? Um, so after I left the hospital, after 28 days being in the hospital, um, I'm there in San Antonio, Texas, and then they end up moving us there right. because that's where my recovery is going to happen. And uh, like I said, in 2009, we had walked into a church. We drug our alcoholism with us and, you know, um, but I, but I started a relationship with God really serving him in 2009, even though it was a process of what he was doing through me. Um, and when I, I often tell people that when I got up off the ground, there was some, there was some remnant that stayed on the ground. Some of John Arroyo did die that day. I've never taken a drink of alcohol ever again from the moment I, I was shot. Mm. And the other things in my life, the, my want tos begin to change. So here I am, 28 days after the hospital. I'm trying to figure out life, right? Because that's what happens when you go through a traumatic event. There, there's a lot of self-reflection. What happens now? So I'm just going to church Sundays and Wednesdays is during that time. And God speaks to me. And it's the second. This is the, probably the first time I realized that God actually speaks because I had been on a different frequency for so long. All right. And he says this. He said, I want you to ask this church what their mission statement is. 
I would never ask a church what their mission statement is. As a matter of fact, I didn't even know churches had mission statements. <laughs> I was like, they're not the military. This isn't a business. That's right. Like, this ain't the military. Like, the only people I knew had mission statements were the military, right? right. And operations orders and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, anyways, so I ask. And they say, well, we're truth seekers. We seek the truth. We find that we find what the word says and we find, you know, through the Hebrew, through the Greek, what the, what the truth says. And God says, I don't need the truth in here. It's already here. Mm-hmm. I need it out there. Mm. And then he asked me, what are you doing? I said, God, I'm going to church. Sundays and Wednesdays, right? Like a good Christian boy now. I mean, you saved me that I'm going to go to church. And he said, I didn't save you to go to church. I saved you to tell the world about me. (laughs) Come on. That's powerful. And and I said, well, how? How am I doing this? I didn't even know what an evangelist was back then. Right. He said, you start with who's in front of you. So in gas stations, in the Walmart lines, in the hallways of the hospital, when I had my my shoulder still in a sling, people would walk up and be like, oh, man, yeah, I had rotator cuff surgery too, bro. Yeah, um, man, so when's your recovery? Or what, Man, what happened? And I, and I would just turn and look at them and say, I was shot at Fort Hood. Jesus saved me. That's all I knew. That's all I had. And people would just like, it was almost like I thumped them in the head with a two-by-four. I mean, wow. that's an incredible start. They just hear out the out of the bat. Well, yeah. and, and because it was breaking news not long ago. Right. And they remember. Right. You know, or they've there was actually two Fort Hood shootings. And so that's where it started for me. It started like that. And then little by little, God began to work the character process out into me, right? He had to take he had to take the green beret out of me, right? And he had to put his heart and his spirit inside of me mm-hmm. because because it's a green beret. It was about me. I'm the tip of the spear. Mm. Right? I, I'm up front. I got a story. Get out of the way. Let me tell you about what God's done for me. And so there has been a character building process over the years. And he had me be a general's aide after I was shot. And I look back now and I'm like, at the time, you know, I was young. I was young in in, in my mentality with, with the Lord. See, because when I first joined the military, I was a private. Mm. Right? Mm. I was a young soldier. Right. right. Then when I, then when I became an officer, I was a second lieutenant, which is kind of like a private again. But you're starting at the bottom, right? Right, as you're building now this officer career. I wasn't. I was enlisted. Start at the bottom. Officer. Start at the bottom. Hmm. So now when God put me in His army, I started as a private. Right. Hmm. He started at the bottom. So He made me this general's aide, and at the time, I thought it was all oh, it was about me. You know, God's give me a platform to tell people about Him. But no, when you're general's aide, just think about. Think about your guys' pastor on how he's, he's in a sense, in the kingdom. He's general status and how people honor him and respect him. And when the lights turn on and and the cameras are rolling, it's not about anybody else but the man of God that steps on the stage of your pastors, right? Because mm. that's who God is using. Right. So what God used me to do was to serve this general, this two-star general. And I had to carry this man's sodas. I was like Joseph and Pharaoh, right? So here I was carrying this man's sodas. And my job was to make his life better. And it was about him. And when the lights turned on and the cameras were rolling, it wasn't about me. Mm. So God began to use that in character building. And then um, I went on staff with an evangelist for about almost five years. And then just recently we transitioned. So now we're on our own. My wife and I are on our own. And um, we believe that God is now opening doors. And we want to reach the youth. We want to evangelize. 
We want to see families be restored, everything I just talked about. Mm-hmm. Right. And we want to be able to reach veterans. Why? Because I smell like the sheep. So guess guess where I can go? I can go in the sheep pen. Right. Mm. Right. I can go in those circles. I can go in the youth. I can go in those circles. I can go in the family circles. I can evangelize. And I can go with the veterans. Mm. Right. Because I wore all those uniforms. Right. And so my our heart right now is to start a is a, one of the things I want to do is I want to be able to. Um, I'm asking God for a business. And I believe he's given it to me like a clothing line that will fund the ministry so that I can go places and never have to worry about money and never have to ask them for money. Right. I want to be able to go to churches or go wherever God calls me to go and leave them a seed. Mm. Right. So that's what I'm asking the Lord for, because I've seen in, in my experience where money and ministry can kind of cross and you can get, you can get kind of twisted a little bit in your heart. Um, and focus more on one thing other than the right thing. Right. And so I actually don't want the money portion. I want a business that will fund the ministry and I can just go wherever God calls me to go and never worry about it. So that's where right. we're at. And we have, um, for you listeners, um, we have a website, uh, getupwithjohn.com. Okay. And we have merch, things like that. It's not the, the, the online store is coming, but they can go to um, Amazon and get our book, Attacked at Home, and we wrote a devotional. And we're writing another one called I Never Heard My Dad Say. So our first book is called Attacked at Home. It's on Amazon. Um, actually, if they go to the website, it's it's actually there now. It's getupwithjohn.com. But if they go to getupwithjohn.com, they'll find out more about us. I mean, what an amazing, I'm not going to say story. What a life. What a life. It's and um, story sure. we are so honored to have had you here. We're yes, so sir. thankful uh, that you took time out of your busy schedule uh, to to be with us and share this with our audience and and with us. Uh, yeah, we're kind of speechless. Yes. We're sorry. <laughs> we're, we're we're not. We're, we're we've been paying attention. It's just yeah. that's a lot to take in. It is. It's an incredible story, and and to see you with such a heart for God and. You know, to be up close and see those scars, that uh, that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, again, John, thank you very much for coming on the show, for sharing with us. And uh, to everybody listening to us, we will have the links to all of this uh, so you can get in contact with John if you want to go ahead and further either bless his ministry or ask him questions or you feel that you may be a, a veteran yourself. And you can relate to the story. You want to reach out and talk to someone that's been in the trenches just like you have. Um, we'll have all the information on here. Uh, but again, John, thank you very much. We appreciate your time. Uh, on behalf of Danny and I, we are so yes. appreciative. And to our audience, thank you for listening to another episode of the Remnant Podcast. Links and everything to our social will be in the bottom. Um, and again, if we can help you, please reach out to us. And if we can't, we will always try to find a way to help you out with either your questions or what have you. Thank you guys for listening. Peace. Peace.